very robust team of human underwriters who are double checking, looking at things that are on the fence, looking at gray areas, looking at escalations. Um, but we've embraced it to our core uh, of how we operate. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? To my wife's chagrin, it is coffee ice cream. Um, she loves coffee, hates coffee-flavored things, but I, I can't help it on a hot day. Good coffee-flavored ice cream. That's my go-to. So I went and got ice cream the other day, and I was with uh, my brother-in-law who said that he doesn't drink coffee and doesn't really even like it, but he's like, I will always eat ice coffee-flavored ice cream, though. And the yin to my wife's yang. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, too, hates the smell of coffee. Like, she says it makes her sick, but she loves coffee-flavored ice cream for some reason, so... Um, I'm all in on it. Mint chocolate chip would be a, would be a close second, but right. I'm sticking all with right. coffee. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Um, I'm the VP of sales and business operations for an insure tech called Honeycomb. It's gotcha. a crazy cool platform. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit. Um, but the long and short of it is we price, underwrite, and bind insurance like you would expect to bind insurance in 2023, like you would an auto policy or a homeowner's policy or a renter's policy, but we do it in the small commercial habitational segment. So apartments, condos, multi-tenant habitational, um, and we're having a whole lot of fun doing it. So excited to come in and uh, spread a little bit of the gospel um, about Honeycomb. Gotcha. Well, one of the things I didn't ask you before the show is, do you have any real estate in your portfolio today? Um, on the personal side, do you do you do any real estate investing? I bought my first just over a year ago. Uh, so a, uh, a small, but hopefully uh, seeds of an empire. Got some work to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. Where was that? Uh, downtown Chicago. Okay. How did you, how'd you find that? Just um, I uh, actually got referred to a great local agent um and now i've kind of caught the bug between working at honeycomb and at my first property myself it's uh something i, I certainly intend to, to keep scaling up yeah i um so i've mentioned i've only had one other person who was in real estate insurance specifically uh on the show before and he was no longer he, he had not been involved in real estate investing so i was always curious like how do you get involved in this industry did you know somebody that uh, knew something about it or how did you get involved in i guess Habitational insurance. So um, I've been in uh, sales leadership in the tech space for better part of a decade. Um, I have let go to market at other uh, insurance shops, but honestly, I'm agnostic. I look for solutions to head-crushing problems. And when I came across what the current state of the habitational insurance market was, which candidly I was not an expert in you know, a year ago, um, it shocked me how archaic the systems were, how silly the process was, how unfair the rates and the mechanisms and the and really the, the power dynamic was. And when there's a massive opportunity for someone to come in here and do this differently, do this better. Um, and that's what sucked me in. And now I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to leave. 
Yeah, it is funny. I My sister is an insurance agent and I've got some friends in the insurance um, arena or vertical industry, whatever you want to call it. And they all say the same thing. It is a very antiquated 1800s process to get things done. How are you all changing what you do in your go-to-market for real estate investors? So what you can expect with Honeycomb and what is so different um, from I think anyone else you're going to find on the market is that we start with a very easy submission flow. It's, it's what you, sh I think, should expect when you're applying for anything today. It takes five minutes, input your critical details, let our technology do the rest. And so we've developed some really slick AI algos that look at not just the physical components of a building, the roof, the maintenance, the upkeep, the street level views, but also all the data uh, that is implicit in your property. Ownership, maintenance history, financial stability, liens, et cetera, crime. And we wrap that instantly into, in many cases, a bindable quote. Spend five minutes, this is how much your insurance is going to cost. And that's just not how the insurance space has been structured. I'm sure if you asked your, your sister, it's, oh yeah, let me fill out a 40-page PDF and send this off, maybe in the mail, and hope that in a week or two or three, something comes back. Um, yeah. And so just that immediacy, that speed, uh, really is just something that this space I found was really lacking, but it has to be mirrored post-bind as well. How do you pay? How do you run an inspection? We use a first-party app. You literally take out your smartphone, take a couple shots to the outside, a dozen shots to the inside. There's your inspection. File a claim. That's what you're actually paying here. Um, again, just a digitally native company um, really does change the way that you get to it sounds so corny. Experience insurance. <laughs> well, I, I want to take you back to the data points that you pull. Yeah. Are you pulling this because somebody is submitting it's a 1975 build and this is what it is, et cetera? Or are you all scraping publicly available information to get those data points? What does that look like? Both. Um, and it's really interesting you bring up a 1975 build. Um, one of the hardest things to insure in the United States today what has really happened with the incumbent carriers is that they haven't priced risks well. Good risks have been subsidizing bad risks. All of a sudden, profit and loss ratios got out of control, and the first place they pulled back is on your build. Oh, well, it's a whole lot easier to underwrite a building that was built in 2022 than it was one built in 1972. And so these older buildings are becoming very, very, very difficult to write on what we call admitted paper. Um, policies filed with the state DOI. And it's taken a, a tech forward solution to look at these and say, we're not scared of old buildings. We love well-maintained, updated, occupied buildings in good areas of the city that you or a loved one would, would want to live in. Um, it has nothing to do with age. And so, um, and maybe that wasn't the point you were trying to make, but it was very present. Uh, yeah. age, age is a crazy uh, thing out there today. So a lot of this conversation I want to use for my learning, um, I'll start with the, the phrase admitted. What does admitted to your, I think you said DOI really mean for me as an investor? So let me try to speak this and, and for the record, and I know Matt, I mentioned this before the call, I am not a licensed insurance agent. So this is speaking in, in hopefully layman's easy to understand terms. Uh, an admitted policy are rates and coverages that are filed with the state department of insurance or DOI. Basically, you can't just finger to the wind, make this up as you go. Um, there is a non-admitted side of the market where if, typically if you are not able to qualify for an admitted policy based on uh, the risk factors of your property, 
you have to go to an excess and surplus lines or non-admitted carrier, in which case they, the carrier really has all the power in the world to say, here's your price, here's what you get, take it or leave it without a governing authority um, providing that same level of oversight. Does admitted also mean like I, I'm almost thinking of it like an FDIC insured where the state will come in and back the carrier of the policy and non-admitted means that it's basically all on the insurance balance sheet? Uh, directionally, I think there's some parallels, but it's not quite to that level of like a FDI insured. Hey, you got 250K in the bank. You can count on this. It's more you can count on some really sharp and some really tedious people having looked this up and down, front to back, and ensuring that what you get is the highest tier and quality available. And if anything goes awry, we will come in and enforce this based on our yep. terms and stipulations, whereas you don't kind of get that in the Wild West. Yeah, and for anybody out there listening, I mean, my general rule on insurance is you're subsidizing risk. You probably want to go ahead and make sure, like price is not the only determining factor when you're looking at insurance quotes. I would much rather go with a policy that's more expensive, knowing that I'm getting the proper insurance for when something happens, not if something happens, when something happens and I need to call on that policy, rather than, oh, I'm gonna save $20 a month and make it a coin flip when I have a $500,000 event that now all of a sudden it's up in the air on whether it's gonna be approved or not. Yeah, and and you know if there's one PSA of the, of the hour, um, Yes, you can apply, you can buy insurance direct. Yes, you can come to our website and within five minutes have a bindable quote. If you're not entirely sure of exactly what you're talking about, lean on an insurance agent. They, they You don't pay for them, right? They're, they're working for you. They're going to get you the best quotes. They're going to market your risk for you. Um, at Honeycomb, we do have in-house agents as well. So if you do call in, um, know that you're in outstanding hands. But to be able to talk you through some of the nuances beyond just, oh, well, high deductible, lower premium, I think most of us get that. But to know the nuances between ordinance and law coverage, do you qualify for water and sump backup? Is the right business income limit X or Y? Get somebody who does this as a as a the core piece of their professionalism. Yeah, you're kicking me in the shin with the water and sump backup. Um, oh, no. I will leave you some of the details out of this story, but let's say we had somebody use one of my units as their own personal restroom because <laughs> the toilet backed up. And so as I was going to file a claim, they were like, this is a, a sewer line issue, a sump issue, not a flood issue or damage issue. So we don't cover that. So one of those things, like I had no idea it wasn't included. I had no idea that that was something you could even go get insurance on. And then when I talked to my carrier, they're like, yeah, it's only $3 a month. Right. And let me just tell you, if you have to rip up the ground to fix a sewer issue on a property, it will cost you way more than $3 a month for infinity to go fix that problem. So you might as well go ahead and get it. That's a huge one. Um, ordinance and law is another. You know, if a state or a municipality comes and says, hey, you need to have a fence around your property or because of this new code, you need to update this. Well, that's not part of that's unless that is is typically uh, excluded as a point of practice. Well, you got to make sure you go out and purchase that coverage um, to be covered. I, I know you're not an agent, but like what roughly what does that cost? Because that is absolutely something I'm thinking through. Like I don't have all my single family property, so that might make sense. It's going to vary all over the place, not just based on where you live, but also the value of the property. I'll get you a great it. agent. It, it depends. It is what he said. Uh, the consultant <laughs> yeah. answer. I hate that, but it depends. <laughs>
Um, so when I first got involved in real estate, I didn't understand that there were different types of insurance. There's um, a tenant insurance versus uh, landlord's insurance versus like renter's insurance. If if I'm coming into this, or you 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 just bought a property, you're going into this for the first time. Like, what are some of the things I want to make sure that I'm looking at in my policy, knowing that it depends, and there's an agent that out there that can help you guide through that. So this is particularly important for those who say uh, bought a duplex and they are living in it. You still need a commercial policy to cover the premises, right? This is now an income generating asset, and not just the property coverage, but the general liability coverage that you really should have to protect yourself is a whole lot different than a homeowner's policy in which you are the homeowner and the tenant. Um, in you know the case of Honeycomb, we only write commercial policies. And okay. so looking at either apartments, um, a COA you know, for a condo association, or a single family rental. So we will all the way go down and write a true single family building property so long as it is not owner occupied, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and without getting too deep in the weeds, um, just the differences in, in liability exposure and the extension from not just the property side of the house and what a tenant can do to your property, but also the general liability, slip, trip, and fall, contractors come on site, things happen. Um, it's a different level of coverage that, that you're going to want to make sure you're really buttoned up on. Yeah, and you brought up a good point around commercial policies versus personal property. I know when I first got into real estate, it was a home that I bought and I was living in and then I moved out and decided to uh, rent it out. I had no idea that I needed to switch insurance policies mm. because now I was renting it out. Um, so make sure if you're doing the strategy of a house hacking that you look at having a commercial premises property insurance, but also if you are renting out a single family that you moved out of, that you need to go ahead and reinsure that policy or, or rewrite that policy. Abs ab Great tip for the listeners. Man. How, how do you think about un umbrella insurance? So one of the things that was told to me early on in my journey when I started getting three or four policies was the idea that I should insure my policies low on each property and then have a big umbrella over them. Um, so first of all, if it's a new term for our listeners, would you mind defining what an umbrella policy is? And then talk to us about maybe some things that we should think about in terms of thinking through an umbrella. Yeah. And again, you know, PSA not coming from a uh, licensed insurance, uh, yeah. insurance agent or producer. Umbrella is going to cover everything that runs over the general liability coverage of your core um, package policy. At Honeycomb, we only sell package policies, so no what we'd call mono line, something like umbrella. We write property insurance, and we couple that with general liability that covers things both per incident and then a total uh, exposure for that property. Anything over that exposure limit, that package does not cover. It's where an umbrella would step in and then say, oh, something catastrophic happens, let's make sure that we are fully protected um, and not liable for any of those you know, extended risks. In terms of the strategy, do you go low per package, high on an umbrella or vice versa? You know, that's a phenomenal question format. Yep. yep. Your insurance agent, uh, yep. which will be the best money that you don't have to spend because um, they're not going to charge you anything. They're yep. just going to get you the best policy possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it is just something to think about. Like the more I uh, understand insurance, 
there's like primary insurance and then there's this concept of like reinsurance. So the hole in ones that you see um, are as a perfect example. Well, if somebody hits a hole in one, they're going to pay out a million dollars. Well, they don't really pay out a million dollars. They no. just go get an insurance policy on it that says, I'm going to pay you 500 bucks and you're going to send this person a million dollars if they end up doing it. But the insurance company in the background does the risk assessment essentially. Yeah, there, there's some, I mean, and that's been there for a while, but there really are just some, some really exciting and, and kind of wacky things going on in the insurance space today. Um, we've seen a lot of carriers miss misprice policies over the last 5, 10, 15 years, and it's causing a lot of disruption. Um, I don't think any of your listeners would be surprised to hear that they're seeing what were previously maybe a 4 or a 6 or an 8% annual rate hike turn into 20 or 30 or 40 or you know what, sorry, you did nothing wrong, you didn't file a claim in five years, uh, your policy is being non-renewed. They're no fault of your own. Um, and so just make sure that you're on your toes and that you're having your agent actively shop this um, because th things are changing very quickly, quicker than I, I believe they ever have. See, John, this is why I invited you on the show so that you could be my psychiatrist and just detail back to me all the insurance problems I seem to be having right now, specifically it's you, on Matt. this. It's not just <laughs> Um, specifically on this idea that I used to underwrite my properties as a typical 3% inflation growth on my policies. And I was reading a white paper the other day uh, on the plane that was talking about the number one increase that we've seen in managing properties today is insurance cost. And so I would, I'm wondering if you could talk through why, what are you seeing in the industry right now? You mentioned the repricing of risk, but what are you seeing in the industry right now that's causing that? Thanks for giving me a layup that I don't have to be a licensed agent to, to speak to uh, thoughtfully. It, a lot of this has to do, and sorry, I'm going to go finance on you, um, what we call yes. the combined ratio. Okay. And that is the ratio of your traditional, think of it as a operating P&L in any sort of business. We call that the expense ratio. How much do you have to spend to operate your company relative to the revenue you're bringing in? added to your loss ratio, which is a unique insurance component. Oh, for every dollar that you collect in premium, how much are you paying out in claims? When you stack those two together, expenses plus losses, you get your combined ratio. And maybe this is shocking news, but the vast majority of the space has been running at over a 100% combined ratio for some time. Wow. And so you go, well, so is every one of these companies losing money? No. Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway model, you can reinvest your insurance premiums in between claim cycles and actually generate a rate of return on said investable capital. And so, so as long as you're, if you're at 104% combined ratio, as long as you're earning 4.1%, well, at least you're breaking even. But it's put the, the space in a, in a bit of a bind. And a lot of carriers, particularly the national carriers that write multi-line, personally and commercial and, you know, 200 different subspecialties within, they have to take a long, hard look when their profitability gets scrunched and go, well, what are we getting out of? What can we no longer afford to throw people at to try to fix? And in a lot of cases, it's been property insurance. And they go, well, we have two ways to hopefully salvage some profitability here. I'll throw you a 35% rate hike. Sorry, Matt. Or even more sorry, we're just canceling your coverage. Yep. Find someone else. So those have been the dynamics that have led us to this point. So, so I've seen um, in the recent in the news we're recording this in June of 2023 that I think it was State Farm pulled out of California, and then there was another major one that followed right afterwards. Is Nationwide that made an announcement as well? 
nationwide. There it is. And so, I mean, those are two major insurance carriers saying they're just going to back out of an entire state. Is that essentially what they're doing is looking at like, obviously you don't know specifically what they're doing, but are they saying like, okay, where in our PNL are we missing? And then let's drill down further. It seems like California is having a bunch of issues. Let's exit there. Yeah. It's, you know, they're going to try to, you know, where's the intersection between effort and loss. And if you're looking at something like the state of California, where a lot of our losses are here, well, maybe we're not no longer predisposed to, to operating here. Others will do things based on, like we already talked about, the age of the building. Well, we've got decent profitability in you know buildings built after 1990, but before, sorry, writing this off. And it's not that they can't figure it out. It's that it is too costly to do so. It's too costly to figure it out. That means you're throwing a lot of underwriters at problems um, and having those smart individuals fig- figure out your profitability concerns. Yeah. Is it just worth the squeeze? Um, I don't know if you'll, you'll know the secret behind the sauce here, but I've always wanted to ask somebody in the insurance space, how they're thinking about this idea of global warming, specifically properties within five miles of the water. So as a general investment rule, I don't invest in anything that is 20 miles away from a shore coast because I just believe that uh, climate change is real, sea levels are rising for one reason or another. I'm not here to tell you one way or another. I'm not a scientist, but I believe that I will not hold that property when it gets flooded from that change, but insurance carriers will see that's happening and raise insurance costs on insuring those properties so high that it will make it uneconomical for somebody to buy it from me when I want to go sell it. Any thoughts or industry insight you can shed into that hypothesis? Um, I will add a host of weather-related events to purely just sea level rise. Me- se- se- severe storms, Derricos through Texas, flooding. I, there's so many more extreme weather events that are not just coastal that you need to understand your local you know, geographic uh, exposures. When it does come to coastal, um, we politely see our way out of the vast majority of them. We are a non-coastal program in across most of the Atlantic. Um, as you get up into the Northeast, we'll shrink that to, you know, in some cases, 10, some cases, five miles. Um, but we typically like to have an even larger offset than, than you mentioned you look for in your rental properties. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, that kind of confirms what I've been thinking for the past five years. And again, I, I it's not like I wouldn't want to own a beachfront property. It's not like I think it's going to flood in the next five to 10 years. But I believe 30 years from now, when I try to go sell that property, that insurance costs will be so high that it won't make it economical for anybody to buy it. Yeah. No, I, I think you might be on something. Again, I don't want to be the uh, the financial guru that directs you to buy, to buy or not to buy, but um, I, I'm personally uh, staying a little cautious there. Are there any other other intricacies in the insurance industry right now that you're seeing like as a trend, something like that, um, that you could maybe shed light on? Big data um, is changing most every industry that, that it can touch. Um, and you can throw AI, AI on top of that. And it's not that it's a novel concept. It's been around for years and we've had actuaries doing the science for, for decades. But the application of it in real time is very much changing the way insurance is is underwritten and the companies who have so much sunk cost in their legacy infrastructure well it's just not how we operate um i i almost feel bad i don't know how you adapt to a completely new way of thinking and operating without that technical infrastructure um 
so that is certainly changing. There's there's always been data out there, but the speed with which you can immediately consolidate it and aggregate it and make sense of it, um, it's really putting a lot of the power back in the hands of, of the consumer or the knowledgeable consumer. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think it's this idea of inference, right? I think for a long time, we were able to do calculations on big data numbers and get to some sort of data-driven answer, but we weren't able to infer the next step. And mm. what you've seen with like ChatGPT and some of these LLMs out there is they're not necessarily, um, I guess they're, they're predicting the next thing that you would say. They are not intelligent. They are just doing predictive analytics, just like Amazon does with you might like this. And so the speed at which that's happening today is um, absolutely beneficial, I think, to your to your industry specifically. It certainly is. And then you get some wild stuff with uh, image recognition as well and forecasting, you know, what's the deterioration of something like, say, a roof, which is pretty important in my world. I never even thought about that. You're absolutely right. Um, how are you all using technology today to be competitive in the insurance space? So all of our image um, evaluation is done instantly via artificial intelligence and machine learning models. So pretty wild stuff um, where you feed it, you know, hundreds of thousands of data points and it starts kicking out things that you may not have seen yourself. Yeah. Or frankly, sometimes like don't quite understand. And then until you unpack and look at the triggers and the drivers. And so um, we still very much believe in a, a balanced approach of, of man and machine where you know we do still have a very robust team of human underwriters who are double checking, looking at things that are on the fence, looking at gray areas, looking at escalations. Um, but we've embraced it to our core uh, of how we operate. What, what's an example of that? So earlier, I'll give you a chance to kind of think through it, but like earlier we were talking about your AI inspector app where you can literally go around and take pictures of your property. So to your point, a 1975 building that's been upkept very, very well is completely different than a 1980s building that's been run to the ground. I'm assuming you can use some of those pictures in AI to see some of the deterioration quality and things like that. Is is that where we're going? Yeah, and the last thing I want to do is oversell. I would say, you know, a, a first-party inspector app is a lot more inspecting what you expect. Oh, you say, you know, I have XYZ electrical panels. Well, when you take a picture of it and it says it's not that, okay, right, that's what an inspection's for. I think the cooler application in terms of real AI are things like time-lapse photography. How has a building facade aged over the last 10 or 20 years? When was an update made? How effective was that update? Did it immediately start deteriorating 18 months later because you had a shoddy contractor? Um, what's happened to the neighborhood? How have vacant buildings and vacant lots popped up, been knocked down, been rebuilt? Um, there's a whole host of visual, it's not really analytics, but bear with me, um, that AI can apply to. And then there's um, the core data as well where when you can pump in and instantly sync sources where things like rent and sale price and depreciation and building values, well, all of those become instant, instantly synthesizable as well. I am so interested in how you all are doing that on the back end, but to spare our listeners from having to listen to me geek out or us geek out about it, I will save them. Next but time, Matt. Is that where you were saying earlier in the show that, hey, we are taking a combination of user-generated data from the person taking the 
pictures today, as yep. well as scraping public Im- images on, for our listeners out there, something like a Zillow. A Zillow is going to show the last time it was sold, what those pictures look like, and they're going to compare it as an example. Bingo. Yep. It's looking at, you know, what you submit on a, you know, traditional application. You know, you're answering questions. Now, I think we do it in the most streamlined manner possible, but you're answering questions. You're scraping data from everything that's going out in the world that is data hungry. And then you're looking at the imagery and you put those three things together. Uh, and I think we've built a better mousetrap. Yeah. And and I don't want to skip over this point that um, the AI inspection is beneficial not only to you as the insurance provider, carrier, whatever we want to say in that situation, but also to me as the landlord and the owner of the property as well, because we have had properties in our multifamily portfolio where we underwrite insurance, we get the insurance policy six months, two years later, the insurance agent sends somebody out there to go re-inspect the property and look at something. And they're like, oh, we didn't know that X, Y, and Z. And all of a sudden now my insurance costs go up when I didn't not, I didn't admit that. I didn't lie about that. I didn't know that was something that you needed to know during this situation. So I don't want to breeze over this point that you you all have built some good differentiating technology there. to the benefit of the of the insured, um, right? That's uh, it's, it's such a great point. Um, you're doing that inspection upfront within three weeks of binding your policy. It's easy. You can do it. Your parents can do it. You can forward it to a relative. You can forward it to your insurance producer. Anyone can do it. Um, you're getting real time feedback. And if something isn't up to snuff, it isn't best practice. Well, we're giving you the direction of this is what you need to change and why, and giving you a chance to to make sure that that is completed. Um, the other piece, and this sounds so silly. There's such a backlog of field service technicians. A lot of times you can't get an inspection scheduled for three or six or nine months. And then it's, where are we? We're going back. How was this effective? Um, and so the ability just to take that matter into your own hands and do it yourself as the owner or the insured, I, I think it's benefiting everybody. Yeah. Now, you did say my parents could do it, which is a very, very lofty claim. So uh, maybe we'll download the app later tonight and uh, test you on that. Test it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, fantastic conversation. I want to switch us now to our last round. We call this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Oh, so it, it's kind of a cop out because it's going to be a movie that reminded me of the book. I just watched uh, Air over the weekend. Um, the story of Nike, Michael Jordan. I'd say a solid film. Um, but it reminded me of just how much I love Shoe Dog. Uh, if you haven't yeah. read Phil Knight's memoir, um, just outstanding in terms of life, sports, building a business, just the guy pushing it to the edge every month, rolling all his AR on the line to pay for the next payable to, to make it another month. Um, I, I, I love that story. Yeah. Great book. Have not seen air yet, but it is on the to-do list. Not as good, uh, not first, as good, not as good as the book, but I mean, yeah, what movie yeah. is. Our second one is what is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things you do every day. What are some of the things you do every day? Um, it's a much different question than if you would have asked me two and a half years ago. Um, the big change in that time, uh, I now have a two and a half year old and the two habits that I couldn't agree with you more. It's who you are in 10 years. Um, I'm up at five every day so that I can be a bath time every day. And it's made me not just a, I would hope, a, a much better father and husband, but it's made me a better professional, surprisingly, in having that discipline of, well, you know, you can always throw more hours at it. You can always stay late. Um, that was how I lived for a long time. And so um, I do think those practices uh, made me a, a more holistic and a, and a better sales leader as well. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I um, 
I often get asked, like, how do I juggle a lot of different things that I've got going on? And I'm like, it's forced prioritization. Like, I know I wanted to go for an hour walk today, get out of the house, just move around. I'm like, nope, kids are coming back. I hear them out there right now. Like, that's more important to me than the hour I need right now. Let's plow through it, get it done now so that I can be with them later. So I love that. Our third one is what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I'm, I'm going to keep this familial um, and go with uh, my grandfather, who, in direct theme of uh, our conversation today, owned his own insurance agency. He's a mostly personal lines life insurance broker. Uh, and it was don't talk past the sale. And I mean, in terms of just wise concise wisdom um and not i know not everyone's in sales but i don't i don't think it's a it's a sales uh, piece of advice um it, it is it is not sales piece of advice it is very useful in sales but uh i always have been told like stop it yes <laughs> basically when stop you it, you're, somebody you're gonna talk them out of that decision you are you already have them in um that's right that's right well our fourth one is what are you most proud of in your life I think I've gushed enough um, uh, about about my family, about what I've done. I, I'm really proud of what I've built from a professional standpoint. Um, popped into a couple companies, taken them from, in one case, basically zero, brought them up to a nice, you know, 50 million or so runway. It's been even more fun to, to jump into Honeycomb as it was in a slightly more mature spot. And uh, I'm going to give you a corny answer, but I, I don't care, Matt. Um, I'm most proud of where we're about to take Honeycomb. Um, if you haven't heard of us yet, you heard about us today. Um, we're going to be the definitive name brand. And so I'm proud of what this is becoming and is about to be. I like it. In the spirit of Michael, Michael Jordan calling a shot. Amen. Our fifth and last one is, if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? We've talked sports. We've talked business. So I feel like I want to go then politics. we got July 4th coming up. I'd want to sit down and have a great big bowl of ice cream with George Washington. Yeah. Like, who who, who the heck was that guy? Um, what I mean, did they have any idea what he was creating, what was going to come? Um yeah, I'm going George Washington. Final answer. Yeah, a uh, a surprisingly common answer. Really? Show. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I'd say you're probably the uh, seventh or eighth one out of 150 episodes. So uh, more that common than you think. Okay, I'll, I'll ping you something because I do I do pride myself in being creative. Um, well, let me ask you this: Do you think he would take out his wooden teeth to have ice cream? Oh yeah, yeah. have to right? You got to yeah. slurp it down. Yeah, wooden teeth. Mm. Uh, well, John, fantastic conversation. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you, Honeycomb, uh, what you all do, where's the best place we can point them? Honeycombinsurance.com. Um, if you have a property, if you're considering a property, you can go ahead and quote it on your own. I stand by my word, five minutes. If you do need any sort of licensed guidance from someone who is more uh, educated in the space, uh, even than myself, we got a whole team of them. Um, we'd love to hear from you and show you what we've been up to. Perfect. We will leave those in the show notes. And then, John, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.